First Samuel chapter 17. This is the end of our underdog series. And so I hope that you've been encouraged. These messages have just kind of been encouraging ones to me. They're just really good, what we might call Sunday school stories, but just strong reminders of who the Lord is and that he likes to use the weak and the, those of the, the lower level to really change the world. And we are part of that. We don't have to feel inept or inadequate because God likes to take the small things and do great things. And so today we have one of those, again, great examples of how the Lord likes to take the little things and do much with the little things. Let's look together. First Samuel chapter 17. And we're just going to jump way down to verse 40. Anybody here we have to worry too much about today, but some of the stuff in this passage is very graphic <laughs> by today's standards. So just a heads up about that, okay? David says, verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, that I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. There's almost enough there for the message, right? <laughs> um, we're going to have a lot of text today, so please bear with me, all right? I'll try to get most of it on the screen so you can follow along. We're going to work our way through a lot of chapter 17 just to let the scripture speak to us this incredible story. Again, real two big important points today, and I'll give them to you right now just so that you don't miss out on the biggest things. One is that all the earth may know that there is a Lord, there is a God, a God in Israel, okay? That's why we live and breathe. That's what it should be, okay? The second thing is the battle is the Lord's. He does not need our swords and spears, right? And that's something we've all been wrestling a little bit with, right? I got to do this and I got to do that. And no, 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 no. The battle is the Lord's. And that's why we got to figure out what the Lord wants us to do, that we need to do that. Getting a really good lesson this morning in Sunday school. It's such a clear reminder that we need to serve everyone regardless of the outcome, regardless of who they are, what they've done to us, right? The battle is the Lord's. So if you can hang on to those two things today. I think you'll have the, the main important part of the message. So a good message part of today is that we want to be prepared and, and God will prepare us if we make ourselves available. I thought this was really interesting. This is from Mark Clark, and he refers to a book, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, and it documents the lives of many successful leaders and entrepreneurs who succeed not in spite of challenges and suffering in life, but because of them. I want you to think about this. This is really interesting. He calls this phenomenon the advantage of disadvantage. Gladwell cites a study from City University of London that notes that a third of highly successful entrepreneurs are dyslexic. Think about even some of our own kids and the battles they face and yet what God may do with them, right? Richard Branson, Charles Schwab, Paul Orfila, they are all dyslexic. 
Researcher Sharon Thompson Schill recalls speaking at a prominent university donors meeting filled with successful business people. And when she asked how many of them have been diagnosed with a learning disorder, half of the hands went up. <laughs> Gladwell's insight on this is profound. There are two possible interpretations for this fact. One is that this remarkable group of people triumphed in spite of their disability. They are so smart and so creative that nothing, not even a lifetime of struggling with reading, could stop them. But the second idea might be this. It's more intriguing. It's a possibility is that they succeeded in part because of their disorder, that they learned something in their struggle that proved to be of an enormous advantage. What about that this morning? Sometimes maybe God makes us the underdog because he's going to teach us something in that position that then he's going to use to have great impact. Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's an advantage. That's a really different way of looking at things, isn't it, right? Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's an advantage. Maybe being the underdog is actually right where God wants you to be so that you can learn something that will transform you whenever you surrender your life to God. Again, maybe it's not a problem. That's a really different way to look at things. Let's get started briefly this morning. I want to jump back real quick to 1 Samuel 16. You guys know this again so well. This could be its own sermon. But just briefly, we want to be reminded that this truth, when we, especially when we think about underdogs, what does God look at? He looks at the heart, right? Look in chapter 16, verse 1, and we're going to skip down to verse 6. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Let's skip down to verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Amen, right? This is the oldest. Anybody else the oldest besides the preacher? Am I the only one in my family? Oh, there's a few other oldest, right? They're the best, right? Yes. The only children don't count. My wife's the only child. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're the oldest and the youngest, right? So you guys know the quick story? We, know, we have Saul, who was chosen by the people. He was a head taller than everyone. He had a pretty good start, and then he fell off pretty quickly. He made some really bad choices, selfish choices, that actually would, God would tear the kingdom from him. Samuel loved Saul. Saul was his guy. He had poured himself his life into Saul. And when Saul messed it up so bad, Samuel was broken, and God says to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn over him? I've got something else to do. Again, real quick, a good lesson for us in that, right? How long are you going to mourn over this issue? You keep weighing and thinking and you keep crying about this, but I've got greater things to do. Let's get, do those things, okay? So then Samuel's like, okay, I'm going to go to the house of David. He ends, or excuse me, the house of Jesse. He ends up the house of Jesse, walks in, David and all his brothers there, but he doesn't notice David at all, right? He noticed Eliah because he fits the role, right? He looks kingly. He looks tall. He looks strong. He looks healthy. This is the guy. Then we get to verse 7. <laughs> but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have what? Rejected him, right? Poor Eliab, right? <laughs> He's not the guy. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hello. Right? Again. The people that have the problems, maybe it's not really a problem. Maybe they're actually being empowered to do great things. 
who are you looking at today and how are you judging them? A lot again, a lot of crossover from our lesson this morning in Sunday school, right? Well, that person, I don't know about if I trust them. How could God use them? They are in a nursing home. They are in jail. How could God use someone in jail? They're homeless on the street. What's God going to do with that person? They're not going to benefit the kingdom. Really? <laughs> right? The Lord does not look at the outward appearance like man does. The Lord looks at the heart. So as you think about this series, again, of underdog and being underdogs, we've got to look where the Lord leads us because we don't know how God could transform someone that we think has no real uh, resource to give to the kingdom. But they may be somebody who is instrumental in changing the world. Be careful with that, all right? The Lord looks at the heart. Okay, let's jump into chapter 17 and work our way through, again, this uh, reminder, this story of God using the little to defeat the great. Verse 1, we're going to see a tricky situation here in chapter 17. Again, bear with me. I'm going to read rather quickly today. We have a lot of verses, but hopefully you'll have them in front of you as well. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled in Succah and Judah. And they pitched camp at Ephes Damimim between Soca and Azekah. And Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. And on his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified, right? See the situation, that's kind of the big thing, right? So everybody getting the feel here. Again, you know the story well. I don't want to repeat all of it, but Goliath was a big guy. Um, this is probably one of my favorite days of the whole year. It is Selection Sunday. And it's even better this year because my team is actually doing well. <laughs> Brian's team's doing okay, by the way, too. Um, so he's probably not feeling too bad today either. Uh, one of the players on the Illinois basketball team this year, his name is Kofi Coburn. I think he's seven foot two, and he is a beast of a man. And when he goes down the floor, he was playing a guy yesterday that was also over seven foot, and he just kind of would back him out of the way like he was nothing. Goliath, not supposedly, according to Scripture, if we understand the translations correctly, was about nine foot six. Think about that right? So I am six foot, and I used to be six foot and an inch, but I think I'm six foot now, all right? Add three and a half to me to get to Goliath. I feel like I'm a pretty good guy, a pretty good size. I mean, I eat pretty good, right? Think about this man, okay? This is not, this is not even like Andre the Giant territory. This is beyond what we have seen in our current context, okay? 
And that's the warrior that is coming down to face the Israelites. He wears a brass helmet, a coat of armor that weighs in about 125 pounds. I can't even lift 125 pounds, let alone wear armor that's 125 pounds. He wore brass upon his legs between his shoulders. His spear staff was like a weaver's beam. Like he took the beam of a weaver's rod. That's what he was going to be able to throw. And the iron on the end of that thing was 15 pounds. This is just an amazing (laughs) structure of a person, right? Whoa, nine and a half feet, 125 pounds of armor. And he has, he's for his spear, the end, the tip of his spear weighs 15 pounds, right? Again, if I was throwing 15 pounds, I might get it 10 feet. If I was probably not even that, probably like five feet, right? And this, the guy, this is what he uses for his javelin. But he does have a deal, right, for the Israelites. What's the deal? I mean, the Israelites at least have enough courage to set up a battle line. And they're both on two hills. And Goliath says, we'll make this quick. We'll make this easy. That's why a lot of people don't have to die. Let's come to battle. If I win, you guys serve us. If you win, we'll serve you. No problem. But what were the last words again when after Goliath made his deal? They were dismayed and they were terrified. All right. So the intellect of the day, the science of the day said what? This can't happen. We're in trouble. This is not going to work out. All of the, the royals, all of the wisest generals, everybody talking to each other, and they come back and they were dismayed and they were terrified. Think about that a little bit, okay? That was their situation. All right, tricky situation. Well, let's look down and David gets introduced to Goliath. Look down at verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, which I introduced to you already. The second was Abinadab. The third, Shammah. David was the, the runt, the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, and he loaded up, and he set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other, and David left his things with the keeper of supplies, and he ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines, shouted his usual defiance, And David heard it. I think there's an important thing right there. David heard. Other people weren't hearing what David heard that day. David hears them defying his God. Everybody else just were dismayed and terrified, okay? Verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. That's the best part, right? No taxes. David asked the man standing near him, 
What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I can just see his brother's expressions. Don't you wish you had a picture of their faces, right? So verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done, said David? Can I even speak? This is just like brothers, isn't it, right? I mean, can you get the feel? Okay. David does what his dad tells him to. His dad is old. He wants to know, how are my sons doing? I hope they're okay. David, go down, check on your brothers. Take some food to them. Take some cheese to their commander. Let's get the situation, get the scenario. Come back, tell me what's happening. So David actually happens upon the ship the scene when Goliath is doing his normal thing, right? And David, again, he hears different than what everybody else has been hearing. He sees a different situation. What's going to be done for this guy? Again, that's kind of an interesting thing. All You know, get the king's daughter and wanted to pay taxes and <laughs> those kind of things, right? But more importantly, I think David knew that this was, this is not the way things should be. Sometimes, you guys, we need to step into our culture and we need to be the voice that speaks. This is not the way things should be especially in our church culture. Can you let the Lord speak to us today? We do the same things the same way, the same times over and over and over again, right? And sometimes it may be a little boy or a little girl, maybe a special needs person or a homeless man that wakes us up that we hear things differently and we say, whoa, wait a minute. We need to do things differently. And for this group of Israelites, David would be that person. Again, we also need to be careful that we listen to people that have great faith. Amen? Sometimes it's that little child that says something that causes us to be like, man, yeah, we should trust the Lord like that. And that's what David does. Now, again, you get the brotherly rivalry, right? Eliab has already been rejected in chapter 16. He's probably not feeling too great about that. And here David comes and says, well, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? We'll take care of him. And Eliab's like, shut up, get home. You just got a few sheep. Go take care of your few sheep. What are you doing here? Right? And you can get that sense of what's going on. All right? Well, let's go on a little further. David before the king. Verse 30. He then turned away to someone else, and he brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. When David saw, said, excuse me, what was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So David said to Saul, the king again, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Real quick right there. Saul doesn't even give David a chance, does he? You can't do this. You don't have the qualifications. You don't have the degree. You don't have the understanding. Uh, Ray and I were talking a little bit this on Tuesday about a lot of the smart people that we know in our lives that never had the degrees at all, right? <laughs> Degreed people doesn't necessarily mean equate with smart. And sometimes in our society, we do that. Again, David here, he doesn't have the qualifications. I'm sorry, you're not, you, don't, you weren't a warrior from your youth. You're still a young guy. You don't have the size and the stature. You, you just don't fit the bill. And I want to challenge you again today that we be careful about boxing people into those positions, especially in our church as people come forward with different gifts and ideas and opportunities. Let's try to empower them with the Lord's power, not with our own, and see what God does, okay? Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, as I went after it, 
struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, let's also make note of this truth. God had been preparing David for this day. Saul didn't know what God had been doing with that person. We may not know what God has been doing with some of the people in our life. We may assume that they don't have any experience or any training or any preparation. It may not be the normal experience and preparation and training, but God may have been getting them ready for what he wants them to do. And I'll tell you again today, simple lesson, if you'll make yourself available to the Lord, he'll prepare you for what he wants you to do. So again, simple point this morning in our message is surrender your heart and your life even now. Lord, take my hands, take my feet, take my mouth. Use it how you see fit. Prepare me for what you need me to do. Look at verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go on these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Well, if you're going to go fight the battle, what do you need to do? You got to have the right equipment, right? David, you need some those, you know, night vision goggles and you need a really nice M1 and you've got to have the right boots and GPS. I mean, this is how we fight battles today, right? So you can imagine David putting on all that armor and all that stuff. And it's like, it's all too big because it's Saul's. He was already foot taller than everybody else. And he's walking around, like trying to throw something, trying to move. He's like, I can't do this. Do we ever limit people because we think they have to do things the way that we do them? That's a preacher problem right there, right? Well, this is how we do this type of ministry. And this is how we do this type of ministry. You want to do what? Oh, no, that's not how we do that. That's exactly what happened here to David, right? This is not how we do that. So I would remind you today that we need to make sure we're using the things that the Lord has given us rather than always doing things the way we think they're supposed to be accomplished. David gives his resume. He has incredible faith. And I think that Saul sees the faith in David, which that I think is a credit to Saul. He does see the faith in this young man. I don't know what Saul thought the outcome was going to be, (laughs) but he was in a desperate situation, and I really think he saw that faith that was in David. A real quick quote here from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I thought this was good. Faith is a refusal to panic. Amen? We can sometimes get in panic mode. Craziness has happened in our life. But faith is that moment where we say, oh, this is in God's hands. And it may be difficult, it may be hard, but it is in God's hands, and I believe it is, so I'm not going to panic about this situation. So David decides to go on his own. Again, God looks on his heart, and to the rest of us, little David didn't look like much. And in some ways, early on, Saul had written him off, but then Saul would see his faith and would utilize him. Again, I just challenge you this morning, we need a faith like David had. I wish David and Jacob were here today, because we need a faith like them too, right? Again, watch those boys. They they are as ornery as they can be. We know that. But man, when they go and they're willing to meet people, you guys, when they pray the way that they pray for different people, like David, our little David, I mean, he cares about you guys. If he hears like that Robert is sick or Kay is sick, it is on his heart and he will pray for the people of this church. His faith puts me to shame sometimes. 
And we need to really share that and expound on that and grow that faith in all of us. And that was what was in this David as well. We need to have that faith like David had. And again, I want to challenge you this morning. This is hard for the preacher, especially as I get older. We can't always use what has worked in the past. God does have something, a method for us to use to be effective with. But we have to be careful that we always only see ways to be done a certain way, right? It could be any of our ministries that we do. Like, who would ever thought that we could try to minister to people through a car show, of all things? I never thought that. <laughs> and yet the Lord has used that to help us reach and love on people, hasn't he, right? So we need to be make sure that we follow the Lord's lead. And you got to be careful. There'll be some people that will shoot down the things that you're doing, right? Saul would have said to David, what are you doing? You've got to wear armor. And some churches will say, what are you doing? You've got to do it this way. Like, no, the only way we've got to do it is the way the Lord leads us to do it. Amen? And that's what David does here. All right. Look at the reason. That's where we want to get to the main point this morning. Look at verse 40. Thanks for your patience today. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Verse 43, Goliath said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Don't miss that right there. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, David said to the Philistine. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines, Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And right here, notice this, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. All right. So what does David grab for instead of his spear and javelin and his... <laughs> He has this tool that he's used to using, right? Again, we need to use the gifts the Lord has given us. I think Ray has a little uh, slingshot today if anybody needs to, a little visual about what they can do, all right? We don't know why David choose, chose five. Was he going to need five shots? Did, was he going to go kill all Goliath's brothers? There's a lot of ideas about that. But he got those stones because that is what the Lord had used with him in his life to make a difference. And he was going to go use it again. Can I kind of say this morning that some of you guys have been through some hard times in your life and maybe those are smooth stones now? Hello? At the time, they weren't anything smooth about them, was it, right? They were trouble, they were hardship, they were hurt. And yet the Lord has taught you and brought you through those things. And now those things can be used as instruments to help somebody else receive the glory of the Lord in their life. Okay? David picks up his stones. He's going to go fight Goliath. Goliath cursed David by his gods. So a real important point here. There, there is a religious struggle, a spiritual battle here that's way overshadowing this physical thing. Another thing is that, can our God handle himself? 
<laughs> Do we have to be the one that, that takes out the giant on our own power and our own strength? Kind of silly when you think about the Lord who made the sun and the moon and the stars and us saying, I got your battle, God. I'll take care of it. It's ridiculous, isn't it, right? Let the Lord fight his battles and you be his servant in the situation. Again, so David cries back. He hears the cursing. He hears the, the proclamation of all these false gods. And he says, you can come at me with the sword and spear, but how does David come at his enemy? In the name of the Lord, his God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your preacher thinks this is the key to the whole thing. Not just this day, but the whole of Scripture. It's about the name of the Lord. The Lord will uphold his name. And David says, I don't come at you with any fancy military arsenal. I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord God, and he will fight this battle today. You guys, this week, there's probably some things you're facing that you need to let the Lord fight the battle. You need to go at the battle in the name of the Lord instead of your own wisdom and resources and power and strength. I just want to challenge you today, even where you're sitting today, if there's something you're facing, just pray about that even now. Lord, how do I go at that in your power and in your name instead of my own strength, all right? So what is the motivation, the purpose that all this will happen? And you guys, to me, this is the whole point of the story of David and Goliath, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. This wasn't about um, Israel's king getting a great place in history. This wasn't even about David getting a great place in history. This is that the, the whole world would know that the Lord is God. That's the purpose. Think about that a little bit this morning. When you're praying, when you're serving, when you're living your life, are you living it that the Lord would be glorified or is it for your name? Is it your kingdom and your will or his kingdom and his will? Right? So much of the Lord's prayer right in this passage. The whole reason we've been brought to this place is it's a missionary God telling the whole world that he is the Lord. All right. Again, the Lord just needs someone who is available, who has trusted him in the past and will trust him now. And the battle is the Lord. All right, let's finish up. Look down, if you would, there in verse 48. The Lord delivers. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and he struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. That's awesome. <laughs> David ran and he stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword. He drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. And when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. <laughs> the king said, find out whose son the young man is. And as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. And David, still holding the Philistine's head, 
said, whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. That is quite the scene, isn't it, right? Did you catch what it, the scripture said there? A couple things, super important. David took down the giant without a sword. How are you going to accomplish this task? Well, our history says it's got to be done this way. My life history says, well, I have to do it this way. The Lord said, I'm going to take care of this. You trust me. Who would have ever predicted that the giant would have got taken down not by a sword, not by a spear, not by a bow and arrow, not by a gun. It got taken down by a sling and a stone. Right? And that's the same thing in our lives. When we look for the Lord's provision for his movement, we need to trust the Lord and see how the Lord will move. What happens whenever David takes down the giant? That's what I love. What happens when the person of faith exercises that great faith? Woo, let's go, let's get the Philistines, right? Where we were just a little bit earlier, we were dismayed and terrified. Oh no, this is so horrible, what are we gonna do? And that one person steps out in faith and now all of a sudden everybody's like, we got this, let's go. It takes one person, sometimes a very little person, to exercise great faith, to change the scope. Whole, whole, whole nation and How about your workplace? Maybe it's just one person exercising a little bit of faith that ignites the faith of believers all around them. Lord, help me to be that person of faith. Amen? When David exercised his faith, the army said, oh, let's go. The battle is the Lord's. And that's such an encouraging thing to us today. Again, David goes to Saul. Saul finds out exactly who he is, and we know the, the rest of that story and what God will do there. So as we think about closing this morning, the, the point of the message today isn't that you just need to give God your giants and he'll slay them all. <laughs> I've heard messages like that, right? Which God is powerful, and he does slay giants. But we all know that we still actually, most of the time, the big guys win, right? <laughs> A lot of times we see that, okay? That's not the message. But the message here, this is the thing. Even though David was the underdog, he'd been living a life of faithfulness to this point. He was available to the Lord, and he was giving his gifts to God. He was willing to stand up for his Lord. And because of David's faithfulness and the Lord's deliverance, the whole earth would know of Israel's God. And that is the point. That's the whole point of this situation and this message. It is about the Lord's name and his renown. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Amen. Your name's strong. Let the, let the nations, <laughs> right? Let them know. That's the whole point of it all. The Lord's about his name, his will, his kingdom. I'm going to ask Diane if she would come this morning. She's going to play for us, I think, on Sundays for times of invitation. It'll give us some good time to reflect and respond this morning a little bit. You can stay seated today. But as we look at these kind of application points, I want you to be honest before the Lord this morning. God wants to make his name great through our church, but also through your life. That's the point of his story. God wants to make his name great. Hallowed be thy name. And so the questions to you today are, are, are these. Will you be bold enough to take a stand for the Lord? This week, when you're in your workplace, or when you're around some people who don't believe in Christ, will you be bold enough to hold the line of what is important, what God has asked you to do? 
Sometimes it could be a position. Sometimes it could be a profession. Sometimes it could just be showing to love to somebody that everybody else is criticizing and tearing down. But will you be bold enough this week to take a stand in faith for the name of the Lord? Will you use the gifts that you've been given? You guys, you don't need to be me. Praise the Lord, right? (laughs) You don't need to be me. I got the gifts I've been given to do what God wants me to do. I don't have your gifts. Everybody knows give the preacher a hammer and a nail and ain't nothing going to happen, right? But you give me a little iPad and a computer, maybe I can do some things, okay? And so we need to use the gifts that, that we've been given. God is preparing you and I for important things, and he wants to see if we'll be faithful for the, the big things. We've got to be faithful in the day-to-day things in order to see the big things. How-